Let me uh, invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 978, page 978. I suppose I should turn there as well. That'd be helpful. So, as most of you know, Pastor Ryan is preaching a series on the 12 apostles, um, and he's almost done with that series, but I'm interrupting the series. Um, But we're going to focus on John the Baptist, so that would be the forerunner of Jesus. So it kind of fits with this series, kind of doesn't, but uh, that's what we're... That's what we're going with. We're going to look at John the Baptist today. We're going to be focusing on on verses 22 to 30. John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. So let's just read the passage, and then, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. John also, this is John the Baptist, was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. John responded, No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. I must increase, but, I'm sorry, he must increase. It really matters how you read that passage. He must increase. But I must decrease. So the first part of the passage talks about two baptizing ministries going on at the same time. Uh, verse 22 talks about Jesus' ministry. Look at verse 22 again. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside. They had been in Jerusalem. Now they're going into the countryside of Judea, probably towards the Jordan River, probably to the Jordan River. They went into the Judean countryside where he spent time with them. That is, Jesus spent time with his disciples and he baptized. So two facets of his ministry that is uh, divulged there for us. The fact that Jesus had a private ministry to his 12 disciples. He spent time with them. And this is one of the characteristic features of his three years of ministry, three plus years of ministry on earth, is that we see a lot of his public ministry, but a lot of times it was just focus. He was pouring into his disciples. He was pouring into his disciples, spending time with them. But then there was the public feature as well where it says that he baptized. He baptized. He had a public feature to his ministry where he was baptizing people. And, in fact, we're going to look at a passage in a few minutes where it indicates that uh, Jesus actually himself was not baptizing. It was his disciples who were baptizing on his behalf. But his ministry was a baptizing ministry. Now look at verses 23 and 24, and it talks about John's ministry. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, also at the Jordan River, though not in the same locale as Jesus. Baptizing near, in, in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Um, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
They tell us, they indicate, it seems to indicate, if you read it that way, that uh, um, Jesus' public ministry began after John was thrown into prison. Um, that's just because they haven't shared all the details. But John tells us that there was a period of time in which Jesus was baptizing and John was also baptizing. And John indicates this was before the time when he was thrown into prison. So the ministries are operating for a little bit at the same time. Not a problem, right? Well, some of John's disciples seem to have a problem with it. So a dispute arises in verse 25. A dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew, an anonymous Jew, we don't know who this is, uh, maybe a religious leader or something, about purification. And we don't know the nature of this particular dispute or this argument, um, and so it's not going to concern us for the moment. But what it does is it, it takes them to John, and they bring up another matter that is of concern to them. Verse 26, so the disciples came to John, John's disciples we're talking about, not Jesus's. John's disciples came to him and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about, and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is flocking to him. So John the Baptist's disciples get into an argument with the Jew. Then that leads to a complaint to John the Baptist. And what is their complaint about in verse 26? It's about Jesus. <laughs> They're complaining about Jesus and how Jesus is baptizing. And notice, notice the wording in verse 26. They, they can't even... They don't even speak the name of Jesus. They describe him, the, the one you testified about. Remember that guy you were talking about who was with you across the Jordan? Well, he's baptizing. And everyone is, what? Flocking to him. They're going to him. Jesus is stealing our, our people. Can you imagine the nerve? Um, of course, they're exaggerating the idea that everyone is flocking to him. Uh, the earlier verses indicate that John is still, a number of people are still coming to John, but a lot of them are going to Jesus. I want you to look down at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though John himself was, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. So, um, there, there is truth in what the disciples are saying here in that um, Jesus is attracting more crowds than what John the Baptist is. Um, so they're, they're basically accusing Jesus of sheep stealing. That's basically what it is. Uh, Jesus is building his megachurch, and we're losing all our people to Jesus' megachurch. The, the disciples, John's disciples seem to be concerned about going out of business. Um, John's disciples seem to be motivated by jealousy, perhaps, or by self-preservation, um, or by concern for uh, their master whom, whom they respect. Well, in verses 27 to 30, then, we have um, John's response. And, it, and uh, of course, we just read the passage, and you're probably very familiar with John's response even before we read it. And, in fact, if you recall back to John chapter 1, or any of John's ministry, what is he doing? He baptizes, but he also is constantly what? He's pointing to Christ, right? He's saying, that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy. Is he pointing at himself? He never points at himself, except to say, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. So look at verse 27. John responds, No one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. 
So in this verse right here, Jesus acknowledges that his own ministry, whatever the greatness of it and whatever its limitations are, is totally from God anyway. All of it's been given to him from God. It's as if he's saying, my ministry as it is was designed by God's administration and given to me by God's administration, by God's choice. It's okay. All of it is from God. It's all part of God's plan. God's arrangement and his administration of my situation are best. You guys need to learn to accept your place and your station from God. Bloom where you're planted. Thrive there, but don't be covetous or envious of the other guy. Paul had a similar attitude in Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Let me just read that for you. Paul says, I have become the church's servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. Paul knew what his assignment was. Paul knew what God had given to him. In another place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, uh, What do you have that you did not receive? In other words, what do you have that God did not give to you? And if God gave it to you, why do you boast as though he didn't? You know, why are you, why are you concerned? Why, why do you boast and are arrogant? Or why are you concerned about your own boundaries and so forth? If all of this stuff has come from God. In verse 28, then John reminds his disciples of what he himself has said about Jesus. Verse 28, you yourselves, you, my disciples can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. And the guy you're complaining about, that's the Messiah. (laughs) That's the Messiah. So we're losing people to Jesus. You should say, good job, John. (laughs) Good job, John. John has consistently said that he has come to prepare the way for another. He's not the big deal. The one who comes after him, the Messiah, that's the big deal. The fact that the large crowds are are turning to Jesus is a good thing. If the bigger crowds were remaining with me and I keep telling you, hey, Jesus is the guy, then there must be something wrong with my ministry. I'm not doing such a great job if everybody sticks with me. Though his disciples may have forgotten, John the Baptist has not forgotten his purpose and his role. His purpose and his role was the forerunner. He was to prepare the way, and then when the Messiah came, it was to get out of the way. It was to get out of the way. It was to make way for the Messiah. Contrast John the Baptist's, John, that's hard to say, John the Baptist's attitude with the attitude of the Pharisees, if you will. Um, were the Pharisees looking for the Messiah? Were they content to recognize the Messiah? Were they willing to get out of the way for the Messiah? The answer is no. <laughs> In fact, They were the ones that were trying to squelch the Messiah, and they were behind, they were certainly behind, um, eventually, the crucifixion of Christ. They were not willing to give up their prestige and position to make way for Jesus. John was. John knew his place and accepted his place. In verse 29, John gives an illustration to explain his attitude and his perspective. Here's his illustration, verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. What is John's attitude here? What is his emotion according to this verse? It's it's one of joy. The groomsman rejoices greatly when the bridegroom shows up. 
When John, when John applies the illustration here at the end of verse 29, he, he homes in on that aspect of joy. He says, this joy of mine is complete. John's disciples view their relationship with Jesus as competitive, but John sees that they are on the, on the same team. And more than that, that he is the privileged servant of Jesus. Jesus is, a, is like the groom uh, coming to receive his bride. And John is not the groom. John is the groomsman. He's the friend of the groom, and he's happy to be with the bridegroom. Now, at a wedding, who is the center of attention? What? Bride. Okay, yes, the bride. And then secondarily, way secondarily, the groom. <laughs> but have you ever been at a wedding where the, the groomsman or, the, or one of the bridesmaids was trying to call all attention to themselves? Have you ever been a bridesmaid or a groomsman and, and, and have been hurt because all the attention was focused on the bride and the groom? I haven't. Does anyone want to raise their hand? No. It's all right. That would be a weird wedding, wouldn't it? Now, I realize some, sometimes the ring bearers and flower girls, they, they draw a lot of attention as well, although I don't think they're necessarily trying to do that. But no, the center of attention is focused on the bride and the, and the groom. And John recognizes, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. That's his attitude. John knows his place in God's plan, and he's satisfied with that. He knows his role in Jesus' mission, and he takes great joy in seeing it unfold. And then in verse 30, John is clear with his disciples that what is happening is exactly what should happen. He says, reading it correctly, verse 30, He must increase, and I must decrease. Notice that word must. It's part of God's plan. It's part of God's arrangement. He must increase and I must decrease. John must decrease and Jesus must increase. John's ministry must fade and Jesus's ministry must grow. John served his purpose and he served, uh, you know, he, he served his purpose well in the, in the time delineated for his ministry. Everything is happening as it should. There's nothing wrong. His disciple thinks, disciples think there's, there's something drastically going wrong. Jesus says, or John says, no. The fact that many more are turning from John's ministry to Jesus indicates that everything is going as it should. It indicates that John has been successful in doing what he's supposed to do in relation to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's the passage. So let's, uh, let's identify some lessons for us. Uh, number one on your outline. Your calling as a Christian is to point to Jesus, not to yourself. Your calling as a Christian is to point to Jesus, not to yourself. It's to point to Jesus and not to yourself. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What does this mean? It means that you live out your Christian faith before others, but not in an unnatural way, but in a natural way. Your conversation and your lifestyle should be lived in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you live out the will of Jesus in your life, your walk and your talk is naturally going to point to Jesus Christ. It's going to point to Christ. God has called you to make much of Jesus and little of yourself. To make much of Jesus, but not to make so much about yourself. Second Corinthians 5.15, And Christ died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Or 2 Timothy 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name, uh, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, when you magnify yourself, I, I'm, I'm sorry, when you magnify Jesus and not yourself, do you know what you get? You get joy. You get joy. When you sincerely adopt the attitude and perspective that Christ must increase and you must decrease, then you move further and further into joy, or joy becomes greater and greater in you. John the Baptist came to testify about Jesus. He came to testify about Jesus, but actually John testifies a lot about himself too in the Gospels. And what does he say about himself? John chapter 1, verse 20. I am not the Messiah. When asked, he was, I am not the Messiah. John 121. I am not Elijah or the great prophet. John 123. I am simply the voice crying out, prepare the way for the Lord. John 127. I am not even worthy to handle the Messiah's shoes or sandals. John 130. The Messiah surpasses me. John 3.28, I am the Messiah's forerunner. John 3.29, I am only the groomsman, not the groom. John is constantly elevating Christ and denying himself. He makes much of Jesus and little of himself. Now, he said a lot about himself, but it's because people kept asking him questions about himself. And every time they did, he deflected it towards Christ. He deflected it towards Christ, and doing so brought him great joy. Verse 29 again, so my joy is complete. My joy is complete. Number two on your outline, the more you magnify Jesus, the more you increase your joy. The more you magnify Jesus, the more you increase your joy. The more you magnify Jesus, the more you increase your joy. Or as John Piper puts it, when Jesus increases, joy increases. When Jesus increases, joy increases. Think about uh, some hymns <clears throat> that we occasionally sing. Like the, the, the one title of the hymn, There is Joy in Serving Jesus. There is Joy in Serving Jesus. Or the song Trust and Obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And then uh, number three on your outline. And uh, before I fill in the blanks, let me just tell you real quick. I know it's the last spot on your outline, and you're tempted to think, sermon's over. It's not over yet. (laughs) So... There's a whole blank spot on the back of your page if you want to write there. Number three, third lesson, accept your place and station and role from God. Accept your place and station and role from God. Accept your place and station and role from God. Verse 27 again. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. John's ministry, John's role, his station, his place that was given to him from God. John knew his place, he knew his role, and that brought him joy. What about you? What is your place? What is your station? 
What is your role? I'm kind of using those interchangeably. I'm not going to find each one of those rigidly. Where has God put you? How has God, where is, what are your circumstances? What is your situation? How has he gifted you? What circumstances do you find yourself in? What would he have you do given your situation, given your circumstances, given your talents and abilities, your relationships and so forth? Bloom where you're planted. A lot of people get caught up in the if-onlys. If only I had more money, I could do this for the Lord, right? If only I could do this, if only I had this particular ability, how much good I could do. I used to, I used to wish I had the, um, the, uh, speaking and, uh, debating abilities of my brother and my father. Cause, it, you know, they get into, uh, they can get into good, uh, spiritual conversations and, uh, do well with apologetics. And I'm really slow at picking up on some of that stuff. And I think of, oh yeah, like 10 minutes later, I should have said something. Um, but, you know, God didn't give me uh, didn't give me that uh, quick mind as far as that goes. If only I could do that, how much good I could do, or if only I wasn't so hampered by my health, you know, then I could do this for the Lord. If only I was done with school, you know, then I could then I could do this. Um, if I if only I lived somewhere else, you know, or were in a different circumstance, I could help so many others. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Why? Because you likely can't change much about your situation. And because if you spend all your time lamenting, you may pass up opportunities to serve God that are right there in front of you. You may be so looking, so, uh, so caught up in looking at the grass on the other side that you don't see all the opportunities that are right in front of you. And because if you're a child of God, He's not forgotten you. He's not forgotten you. And He is close to you. And he is working in and through you right where you are in your situation and your circumstance. God has his people all over the place. Uh, if every, you know, if everyone got to shine their light and point the way to Jesus in Florida and in Hawaii, you know, what, what about all the people in North Dakota and uh, Alaska? Who's going to shine the light to them? If all God's people were congregated in North America, who would shine the light in Central America or in South America? Um, you, you may think that you're in your current situation because of your bad choices or the bad choices of others. Whether they be good decisions, well, they're bad choices, so they're not good decisions. Whether they be bad decisions or maybe it's good decisions that you thought were good that didn't turn out so well. But God is as much involved in your placement right now as you are. I would be so bold as to say he has, he has for the time placed you right where you're at in your circumstance, in your situation. Um, and you should make the best of it. And you can certainly use it to serve him. And, and you're in your situation, not only to receive, but also to give. I believe each of you has much to give regardless of your current life circumstance. Or wherever you're at, relationship-wise, work-wise, neighborhood-wise, church-wise, you can serve the Savior there. Uh, Monday, uh, my parents and I went to visit Ruth Schrock at uh, Kingston Care. And uh, she used to go to church here, and many of you probably remember Ruth. Um, her memory is virtually gone. Um, she does not remember well at all. Um, and 
the one things that one of the things that she knows is that she can't remember well and it's really it's really frustrating to her but do you know that she still serves the lord there at kingston care she still points to the lord there at kingston care after i left there i started jotting down the different ways that she points to the lord in the way she talks she talks like a follower of jesus christ she talks like one whose conversation is shaped by the holy spirit in her gracious manner she ministers and points to the Lord in, in how gracious she is. In her smile, um, in her interest in others, even though she's going to forget, and she knows she's going to forget what you tell her in two minutes, um, she still would asked us a few times, so how are you, what's going on, and so forth. Um, she ministers in the way, and she points to the Lord in the things that she has in her room that are a witness to her faith. You know, it's obviously that this room belongs to one who loves the Lord Jesus. She has a big, for instance, a big uh, tapestry or something hanging on her wall with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on it. Um, she points to the Lord in what she says about the Lord. Um, he, she, she commented often about how he's always been good to her. And she's frustrated with her situation. She's frust- she says, all I do is rock and rock and rock. <laughs> and I can't remember anything. And she's frustrated with that. And then she says, the Lord has always been good to me. The Lord has always been good to me. Um, her, her body and her mind are significantly limited for the time being, but she is still living out her faith in the station that God has placed for her, placed her in for the moment. And don't you think that the Lord is pleased with that? And don't you think that she's going to be rewarded for that? Your station in life is from God. Your abilities and your gifts and your experiences are from God. How can you use them to point to, point others to Jesus Christ? How can you use them to glorify the Lord? Are you good at cooking? How can you use that to minister to others, to point to the Lord? Are you good at whatever, you know, computer skills? You have great computer skills. How can you use that to minister, to point others to Christ? Live out your faith right where you're at. Be faithful in the place that God has put you in. Be faithful to the hats that God has given you to wear. Are you a mother? Then live out your calling as a mother in a godly way. Fathers, live out your calling as a father in a godly way. Grandparents, uh, this church is blessed with wonderful grandparents. It delights me uh, to see the way grandparents in this church are invested in their kids. Um... A neighbor, live out your being a neighbor in a godly way. Or a boss, are you a boss or an employee? Live out these specific callings in a biblical manner. Are you a regular client to someone? You know, how how can you point others to Christ? Are you a regular patient somewhere? Some of you are regular patients to, to doctors and healthcare professionals. Live, you know, live out your faith before them. Um, are you a regular customer somewhere? Do you frequent a particular restaurant and you have the same person serving you? Um, whom do you interact with regularly? God has placed you in a particular web of relationships. Live and talk as one who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Live and talk as a believer, not as an unbeliever. I shared with you various ways that Ruth does that, just in her locale there at Kingston Care. Sarah and I are often at the Kroger here on, on state, and we strive to be godly customers. We strive to be godly customers. 
Now, that does not mean that every time I'm there, I'm walking up and down the aisles with my Bible (laughs) and reading it aloud. It doesn't mean I'm walking up and down the aisles singing, shine, Jesus, shine. I'm not doing that. That's That's not what I mean by living out your Christian faith. Now, occasionally it might be appropriate to pull out a Bible and talk with someone. Um, but but it does mean that we are trying to to be to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in terms of uh, recognizing, for instance, that the the person who checks us out at the registers or or whatever is not just someone to facilitate our needs. You know, we're not just absorbed in ourselves, but we're concerned about them and we treat them like human beings, which in fact they are. Um, we try to be smiling and encouraging and grateful and so forth. Live out your faith. And naturally, by living out your faith, you're going to point others to Christ. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he is working to transform your thinking and your perspective, your attitudes and motivations. And in one of the ways he has done that is given us an example here in John chapter 3 of John the Baptist, an example of the way that we ought to to think as believers, as the kind of attitude that we should adopt. We are to accept our station in life as from the Lord. John did that in verse 27. And to use it to magnify the Lord Jesus in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. There's a song on the radio uh, called Only Jesus. Let me just close with a few lyrics from that song. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into the dust when it's said and done. Because all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Did I live the truth to the ones I love, whose name will last forever? And I I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I, I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. That's the attitude of the Christian. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of John the Baptist. Um, and I, and it is, it is my prayer that we, as your children in this room, um, will continue to grow in this attitude of, uh, pointing to Jesus Christ, of saying along with John the Baptist, Christ must increase and I must decrease. Um, help us. Father, we want to be your servants. We want to, uh, constantly be showing others the worth and the treasure that Jesus Christ is. Help us to do that, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.